Well, this morning we are coming to the conclusion of our summer series in the book of Psalms, and it just so happens that we're going to look at one of my favorites. In fact, this psalm is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, Psalm 19. And the reason I think it's one of my favorite psalms is because it contains a a prayer that I seek to pray often in my journey to follow Christ, in my journey to walk in faithfulness, a prayer that has found its way into many of my favorite songs. It's found in verse 14 of Psalm 19. And here's what David writes. Let the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a prayer that David prays here. There's There's a lot of important meaning within that short collection of words, and it it gives us a prayer that I think we can and, and should use to express what I hope is our honest desire as a people before our holy and righteous God. Can you imagine what our lives would look like, what our church would look like if we prayed this prayer with sincerity and, and sought to live in light of it and the power and strength of God? It's a prayer that is seeking wholehearted devotion to God. Because he is our rock and our redeemer. And isn't that what we are to be about as the people of God? Aren't we supposed to be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, to his mission, to his cause? What I would like to do this morning is to unpack this prayer as well as the whole of the psalm that comes before it to to see how David arrived at what he prayed in verse 14, how he moved, how he was moved under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to, to pray these prayers so that the Holy Spirit can move in our life this morning to bring us to a point where in sincerity we are praying this before our God. Here's what David writes in the whole of Psalm chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. The voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing, nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. Because who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servants also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, there are three distinct sections in this psalm. In fact, the sections are so distinct that many scholars believe that these were previously three different psalms now all brought together, kind of a, a compilation album of psalms, if you will. But I don't think that's true. I think David wrote this as it existed, as it is brought to us today, because there's a pattern of thought that you can discern through it. There's a, a journey he is taking that is kind of reflective of our own journey toward walking in faithfulness to God. Our own journey and seeking to be wholehearted in our devotion to him. And the journey that he takes, this journey of thought, is important to feel the full weight of David's prayer and how he arrived where he did at verse 14. So let's go with him on the journey he presents for us in this psalm, section by section, to help arrive at this prayer of sincerity at its end. The first section, section one, is in verses one to six. And in this section, David asks us to consider the handiwork of God in creation, the revelation of himself that he has offered in creation. As with several other Psalms, some that we've already considered this summer, David's writing here begins with an overwhelming sense of the glory of God reflected in creation. And he specifically thinks about the heavens and the sky above. He's thinking about the expanse of the sky, how it covers the whole of the earth. He thinks about the sun in that same sky and how God has designed the sun every day to open the door of its chamber and, and bless the earth with its countenance in verse 5. And then from that meditation, from those musings about creation, the sky, the sun, David draws some theological conclusions. God is speaking to us through every corner of what he has created. Every day, a declaration is, is happening without voice, without words. Every day, a speech is being given, declaring to us his glory and his gracious provision to us. And regardless of where you live, you cannot escape this declaration. That's what he says in verses two to four. Day to day, pours out speech night to night, reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor their words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes through all the earth. Their words to the end of the earth. And here's the point that David is making. There is not one part of this earth that is not covered by the majesty of God. There's not one part of the earth that is not beaming with his glory. And the covering that he offers, the covering of his glory, is greater than the covering of the sun because it never sets. And then a transition of thought begins to take place in David's mind in verse 6, leading to the second section of our psalm. As David considers the sun, he thinks specifically about the heat of the sun and how you can't escape the heat of the sun. You feel it on the hottest day you better believe you feel it. There are, there are people in the United States today in the southwest of our country that are feeling every bit of the heat of the sun. But even on a cold day, don't we long for the heat of the sun? In that moment, it's not a, a burden for us. It's a source of salvation, a source of providential care for us. And this leads to David thinking about another work of God's providence, a greater work of revelation, his word. 
his word. That's the second section of our psalm in verses 7 to 11 where David asks us to consider the word of God. Do you know what else that man cannot escape? Do you know what else every single human upon the planet sits underneath? The law of God. The holy expectation that God has for us as his creation. There's not a part of the earth that is not expected to live in a way that is pleasing to God, that brings him glory. We are all accountable to him. And while this is a burden to the unrighteous, it should be a gift to the righteous. The law should be like the sun on a cold day offering refreshment rather than the blazing heat in a desert that leads to death. The law, and by extension, the whole of God's word was given to us as a gift, and it should be a delight for us. That's what David is saying here. Now, let me just make one interpretive note here because I know if you read Psalm 19, you see David talking about the law. The first five books of the Bible, the, the Pentateuch, the Torah. But what we've seen in our study of the Psalms, beginning in Psalm 1, is that what is true of the first five books of the Bible can be said to be true of the whole Bible. And so it's appropriate for us as we consider the, the blessings of the law that David writes here to apply those same blessings to the whole of God's word. As David shows us and declares to us the gift that God has given us. The reasons why we should look at the word, not as a burden, but as a blessing. As we sit underneath its covering. There are six blessings that David outlines here. Let me walk through them. Firstly, verse 7. The word of God is a blessing because its perfection revives the soul. Its perfection revives the soul. The word of God is perfect. It is without blemish. There's no fault in it as it offers sacred witness to God's redemptive plan. And we use the term inerrant to describe its perfection. And this is an important conviction for us to hold about the word of God because it speaks to its place as our authority as well as the, the bedrock, the foundation of our trust. We can believe what God says. We can build our lives upon, uh, upon what God has promised, what he set forth in his word because he inspired its writing and he has supernaturally preserved it for our good. And it's, that's, that's a good thing to hear because we need it. Our souls need to be revived and God uses his word to breathe life into us. When I was on staff at Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, for many years, I served as the young adult pastor. And so we got to do a lot of fun things. And, and every summer for about three or four years, I would take our young adults to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for a retreat. And we would rent a cabin and then we'd go white water rafting because I love white water rafting. And when you're the pastor of a particular discipline in the church, you get to decide what we do. And so because I like white water rafting, we went white water rafting and it was great. The only drawback about that journey was that it was 18 hours long. Whew. Man, I would not do that again. But it was great. We had three buses full of people driving 18 hours. And the thought was the easiest thing to do is to drive through the night because people will sleep, they won't get agitated, and we can get there kind of around lunch and then enjoy our day. So we'd gather around six or seven o'clock at night in Houston and begin the journey. And we tried to 
account for the drivers being tired by giving them partners. And so we had six people that were all cleared by insurance and they each had, or two of them were assigned to a bus. And I took the, the first leg on our bus, was driving seven o'clock till about two o'clock in the morning when it was time to make a switch. And the person that I was uh, partnered with looked at me when we were at the gas station and said, Jared, I'm too tired to drive. And I said, well, what do you think I am? But she's like, I cannot get behind that wheel. I will not make it. And so I said, well, this is probably 23, 24 year old Jared saying this. I would not say this today, okay? So use wisdom. I'll give it a shot. And so I got in that driver's seat two o'clock in the morning and started driving. And I don't know what it is about the last three hours of the night, like three to six, they are the hardest. And man, I was feeling every bit of that tiredness. I was trying to drink caffeine, but I drink so much caffeine in my day that caffeine doesn't really have an effect on me anymore. I was chewing ice. I was trying to sing songs that I love to keep me awake. I was waking up people to have conversation with me only to find them falling asleep, trying to keep me awake. Nothing I did could help me get awake until around six o'clock, the sun started to come up. And it's the oddest thing. Even though I was so tired right before it, as soon as my body saw the sun, suddenly I was okay. I turned a corner. Suddenly I was awake. The sun revived my soul and I was able to move forward until my friend was able to take her next shift. Here's what David's saying about the word of God. It's like the sun. It's so uncompromisingly perfect in what it says. It's so uncompromisingly perfect in what it reveals, the, the redemptive intent of God. It's like the sun rising on weary souls. You might be grasping to try to stay awake, to find meaning in this life, but the moment the Lord opens your eyes to the grace and goodness of his word, suddenly you're alive. Suddenly you are revived. And what a wonderful promise for us. In our darkest moments in life, there's a promise of provision in God's word. If you will run to it, if you will ask God to speak to you through it and the power and work of his spirit, he can breathe life into the weariest moments. As we saw last week, God's word makes known to us the path of life. So friends, let's and the power of the spirit strive to walk in it. Its perfection revives the soul. Secondly, its testimony makes us wise. Also in verse seven, not only does God's word make us uh, revive our souls, breathe life into us, God uses it to make us wise, to help us renew our minds as a spiritual act of worship. Romans 12, to give us the, the mind of God, the mind of Christ. The testimony of scripture helps us to know God and the ways of God. It helps us to know who created the son so that we don't end up worshiping the son because that would be foolish to worship aspects of creation in idolatry rather than the great God who created all of it. God's word helps us have faith sustains our faith and the power of the spirit in, in moments of difficulty when we may be entering into a fiery furnace, a lion's den, or the bowels of a prison. 
God-given wisdom helps us remember that God has not abandoned us, but rather he could even use this moment to bring him glory and bring about our good. More than that, he's promised us that he will be with us in it. While our actions may look foolish to some who do not know God, we know what true wisdom looks like, and it is expressed in faith. Thirdly, the word of God is a blessing because its precepts lead to rejoicing. Verse 8, what Scripture declares to us to be right should lead us to rejoice because it leads us to what is true which leads us to greater faithfulness, which leads us to greater blessing, which leads us to greater enjoyment of the presence of God. Have you ever had a moment reading God's word where you think, oh yeah, that makes sense. Or that's why that is the way it is. Because God's word helps shine light on the world in a way that nothing else does. It declares to us explicitly what we feel implicitly by God's design. Something that seems right to us is shown to be right through the word of God. And what seems to be wrong to us is shown to be wrong in the word of God. And God's word also confronts those places where what we think is right is different than what God says is right and vice versa. This is the gift of God. Think about this. Think about racism, right? All of us in here agree racism is wrong. It's certainly a occur in our country to declare that, that racism is wrong. But the Bible tells us why. The Bible gives clarity as to why we shouldn't look down upon someone just because of their skin color or where they're from, because every single person is made in the image of God. They're all image bearers. That's why we give value to people, and God's worthy of all their worship. Moreover, the diversity of the earth is a reflection of the creative genius of our God. It should lead us to worship how great and incredible he is, not demean someone else for our own personal power. Its precepts lead to rejoicing. Fourthly, the word of God's a blessing because its commands open our eyes. Verse eight, in the Bible there are a number of stories, a number of places where blindness is, is used as an example of our spiritual condition apart from God. We're blind to who he is. We're blind to how to please him. But the word of God is a gift because it brings clarity with the help of the spirit to what we could not see otherwise. The truth of God's word declared over us, God uses to, to remove the scales of sin. It is truly revelation. And it's the key to understanding why God created and what our purpose is within that creation. We can know how to live lives that are pleasing to God and moreover, how we are empowered to do it. Blessing five, the word of God is a blessing because it helps us properly fear the Lord, verse nine. To have a reverence for him, to be aware of his unique greatness his otherness, his singularity, and yet also his nearness, his desire to walk in relationship with sinful, broken people whom he has redeemed through the Son. And then finally, God's word is a blessing because it helps us know the will of God. Verse nine, through the word, God lets us know what he's up to. He's showing us how all things are working for his glory and our good. We can know where everything is heading. We can know that victory is coming and that God always accomplishes his purposes. What a blessing the word of God is. And then because of these blessings, 
David declares the unmatched value of the word of God for his people in verse 10. He says, we should see the word of God as a gift. We should see it as more desirable than gold. Even the finest gold, not that gold-plated stuff. Legit gold. We should see it as more valuable, more, more desirous than honey. Honey just dripping off, fresh honey off a honeycomb. Because there's nothing else that can help us like God's word. There's no other source that we have to know him or to know how he has loved us than the inspired, infallible, and errant word of God. The spirit given and held witness of God's redemptive purposes realized in Christ. And then suddenly, David moves to this last transition, this last section where David begins to lament. Lament, which may be a bit surprising because he's just been praising God. He's just been praising the glory of God in creation. He's just been praising the holiness of God revealed in his law. But then he begins to be convicted, to feel the sting of conviction as he, he sees the blessing of the law and the fact that he sits underneath its covering. Why? Because as much as God has revealed to us, as much as God has given of himself to us, there are still portions of David's heart that he has not given to God. There are still parts of, of David's life that have not been fully surrendered to the expectation of God's law. There are places of ignorance in his life, places that he would not even know need to be surrendered because of the pervasive sinfulness of his heart. And so David begins to feel the the burden of the law, even as he knows he should see it as a blessing. That's what Paul writes about in Romans chapter two and verse and chapter three about the, the purpose of the law. And so in verses 12 to 14, David considers or asks us to consider the response of man to God's work of revelation. He knows the gift. He knows he should see it as a gift. And yet he also knows the standard of holiness that is revealed through the word of God is too weighty for him to bear on his own. He knows he needs help to achieve this righteousness and he may never fully know in his own strength whether or not he has done it. And this leads him to lament and it leads him to pray. God, I want everything, everything I say, everything I think about, everything I delight in to be acceptable to you, to be pleasing to you. I want everything on the inside of me and on the outside of me to bring you joy because you are my rock, you are my refuge, you are my redeemer, the one who saves. And I need that salvation because I know, I know I'm condemned in my own strength. There will always be more sin to find as we sit before the word of God, as we allow the spirit to search within us. So we need God to do something in us that we cannot do for ourselves. And that points us to the gospel church. And 
the delight that we should have, that we have a more fully realized hope than David did. David then, in that moment in Psalm 19, was clinging to a shadow of the hope that we have because we have seen that shadow fully realized in Christ. And the salvation of Jesus We have been and are being made new. More than that, we are given the righteousness of Christ and empowered to live in that righteousness for the glory of God. In Christ, the prayer that David prays is not a prayer of desperation, but a prayer of delight, knowing that we can have a mouth that only declares the glory of God, that our hearts can be consumed with delights in the living God. That's true. As we sit before the word of God, that God will always continue his grace-filled work of revealing sin until we arrive in glory. There are hidden faults and presumptuous sins. But what we need to remember, church, is that when God does that revealing for us who are in Christ, that is not a moment of condemnation. It's an evidence of his grace. To say to us, hey, friend, Jared, there's a part of you that is not glorifying to me. There's a part of you that's not like Christ. I want to get that out so that you can enjoy my presence more, so that you can enjoy my blessing more, so that you can look more like Jesus. That's a good for us. It's a gift, not a source of condemnation. And so that's how this, this psalm turns for us in Jesus. What was a hope in David can be realized fully in us through Christ. We can pray with wholehearted devotion the prayer that David prays. The words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart would be acceptable to God in his sight. Knowing they are acceptable because we are in the Son. God's word. blessing, not a burden. And we can know that blessing. We can receive that blessing because of the work of Jesus. What we learn from Psalm 19, let me just offer us some practical applications for us to think about how we can be different, live differently, think differently as a result of what God has shown us here in Psalm 19. Let me just offer you Four possible responses this morning to what we talked about. Firstly, let's remember, church family, that God's word is a gift. It's a gift. Oh, friends, may we never take this book for granted. May we never lose sight of the blessing and joy that it should be for us as the people of God. Our life, apart from God's word, is consumed by darkness. There's no light for us to see God nor what he's doing. But by by God's grace, through this word, we can see what we would not see otherwise. And because of that unique grace, we should delight in it. Let me ask you, church, do we, do you truly value the word of God? I mean, really? Do we see it as a gift? Do we crave it and long for others to have it? I think about those in the history of the church that sacrificed greatly in order for us to have this word in our own language. I was reading earlier this week about men like John Wycliffe, William Tyndale, John Rogers, who suffered 
just to translate the Bible into English. Think about that. Tyndale was strangled and burned at the stake. And what was his heresy? His heresy was to get the Bible in a language that people could read it in. To allow his brothers and his sisters who speak English to read it and hear it in their own language. And he was burned alive so that we could have this today. Do you know we have missionaries from our church, Matthew and Rachel Woods, who are right now in Papua New Guinea working to translate the Bible into the language of an unreached people group there so they can hear the Bible read, proclaimed, so that they can read the Bible in their own language? They value the word of God. And they know the work God can do through his Word, do we see the Bible like this? Don't take it for granted. Don't use the Bible as a, a coaster for your coffee cup. And that's it. If you left your Bible here, would you notice until next Sunday? Let's delight in the Word of God and not diminish the sacrifice of these who have gone before us to make it available to us. Let's see. Let's see the gift of God's word and delight in it. And let me just say a quick word about our worship gatherings because I think this goes together. When we gather, our gathering is situated around the word of God. Everything we do as a people, we want to, to do to increase our collective delight in the word of God. And that's why when we're in here, we're gonna hear the word of God read over us. We're gonna sing it. We're gonna pray, uh, pray it. We're gonna proclaim it. Because we want to be known for our delight in and our devotion to the word of God. That's why we're committed to expository preaching. That's why we work through books of the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Because you don't need to hear what Jared thinks or anybody else that comes into this pulpit the only words that can breathe life are the words of God. And so we want to just sit before the word and say, hey, what did God say? And what does it mean for us? That's the conviction that we will hold and that I, I pray, I hope we all pray that Bayleaf would be known for. Listen, there are some churches that seek to draw people with a particular type of program. There are some churches that seek to draw people with a particular style of music. And those things aren't necessarily unimportant, but the most important thing, the most important reason to gather is the word. And may we always have that bedrock conviction in our heart. When somebody says, hey, what is Bayleaf about? Exalting Jesus through the word. Let's let that be our commitment at all times because that's the one thing that will never change. God's word is a gift. Secondly, God is still working in us through his word. God's word is a gift, and he uses it through the work of the Spirit to work on us. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun, the earth, Jupiter and Mars. But guess what? He's still working on me. He's still working on you. He's still working on all of us. And the chief way that he works on us is through the ministry of the Spirit and the Word. The Word's a mirror for us, according to the book of James. 
And we need to look at it with integrity, seeing the gift that it is. Listen, I'm 40 now, and I know that going to the mirror every day is not always a joyful thing. So I, I go to the mirror some days and I'm thinking, man, where did that gray hair come from? Where do those wrinkles come from? Where do the bags under your eyes come from? Listen, we, I, I get, we don't always like to look at the mirror, but we need to look at the mirror. And that's probably more pronounced in the mirror of scripture. Because as you sit before the word, and as you see the holiness of God, as you see the holiness of Christ, our shortcomings are more pronounced. But hear me, this is a grace to us. It is God's gift to us because the more we are like him, the happier we will be. And the more we get rid of that junk that is not honoring to him, the happier we will be. Would you allow the word of God to, to do, would you, would you allow God to use his word to do the work that he desires to do in your life by sitting daily before it and asking him, saying, God, search my heart. If there's any part of me, there's any, any word that comes out of my mouth, any meditation on my heart that's not pleasing to you, oh God, show me so I can get it out, so I can only delight in the things that you delight in, so I can only delight in you because that's where true delight is found. And remember, the only way that the, the law, God's word, can be a blessing to us and not a burden is through Jesus. And that's the third thing we can learn from our psalm. God's written word is always meant to lead us to the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. Because the greatest delight we can find in God's word is the work of Jesus. He is the ultimate revelation of God who fulfills the law and makes us new. He is the one who enables the law to be a gift. In fact, it's only in Christ that the law can be a gift because he fulfilled it and he gave us the righteousness that we need to stand before a holy and righteous God. He's the one who enables us to pray this prayer with confidence. And the final thing that we can learn from Psalm 19 is that God's word must be proclaimed to the nations. It must be proclaimed to the nations. Those who do not know Jesus cannot see God because of their sin. We need to articulate how God has loved them through gospel proclamation. I was talking with Pastor Aaron earlier this week and he was telling me a story about a man that he spoke to during their time in East Asia. He was talking to this man, he was looking at a mountain and this man was not a believer and he said to him, can you just, can you just see the glory of God in that mountain? And he said, no, Aaron, I only see work. I gotta go till that land. I gotta hope a crop comes up so I can support my family. The, the immediate cares of the day, the immediate needs of the day, the burden of this earth would not let him see the glory of God. Testifying, declaring itself through the grandeur of creation. And the only hope for that man and the billions of other people who sit under the umbrella of God's creation, who sit under the umbrella of God's law to escape the judgment of God is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Church, will we be faithful to proclaim? 
Hear these questions from Paul in Romans 10. How then will they call upon him in whom they have never believed, or not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach who are not sent? Aren't you glad to be a part of a church that sins? And that is, that is committed so wholehearted to the mission of God that we would go for the glory of God. Let's continue, church, to be wholehearted in our devotion to God and to his mission so that everything that comes out of our mouth, every thought that comes into our mind, every desire that comes into our hearts is one of devotion to God because of gratitude that he is our rock and our redeemer. Wherever you are, do you bow your heads? Just consider for a moment the work here of God the words that we have been hearing from Psalm 19. Let me first speak to anyone in the room who is not a follower of Jesus. Maybe there's never been a point in your life where you've given your life to Christ, responded to the gospel in repentance and belief, and you feel weary today in your soul, like you've been driving through the hardest part of the night for your whole life grasping at something to give meaning, grasping at something to, to breathe life. And maybe today as you've heard the word proclaimed, the Holy Spirit is moving in your life in such a way, it's, it's like the sun is rising for the first time. And you're seeing how God has loved you in Jesus. You're seeing the gift of God's word and declaring his redemptive work in Christ to save you from your sin and allow you to have eternal, abundant life. If that's you, we would love to know you and pray with you. In just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front who would love to encourage you to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead to be saved. Would you allow God to breathe new life into you today, saving life in you today? For the rest of us, can we just sit today in awe of the majesty of God in creation? Can we sit in awe of the majesty of God revealed through his word? And can we give thanks that we can view the word of God, the law of God as a blessing because of how it leads us to Jesus And how it leads us to delight in God. Would you also pray for those who do not yet know Christ, both here and around the world, the billions of people, would you ask God to continue to raise up his church to take the name of Jesus to the nations, to declare his word, so that they may believe and join us in worshiping our worthy God. Father, would you move amongst us? May we be a more faithful people because of our time together today around your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org org.